G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, let's take a little bit of time to meet a gentleman who is a growing friendship to me. Uh, He's from Ireland, and if you're a regular listener to Vision, you'll know that there are affiliations right around the world, United Christian Broadcasters, whether it's New Zealand or the United States or Canada or the UK and throughout Europe and into Southeast Asia, you'll know that there are United Christian Broadcaster outfits. Well, there's also one in Ireland. And our special guest through this hour, Pastor Patrick Fitzgerald, is on the radio in UCB Ireland every single day. Let's welcome our guest, Pastor Patrick. Welcome along to 2020. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me today. Pastor Patrick, when you're on the radio in Ireland, what sort of things are you talking about to, they, uh, the, the, to the audience in Dublin? Well, it's, it goes to Dublin, it goes around, around the country. It's uh, what they call is um, straight talking from the hip. So basically, challenging words and um, not, not, you know, not softening the Christianity message, but really telling the truth and how it should be. Okay, so it's telling it like it is. Yeah, uh, it's not watering down the message. It's no. not. Uh, it's not tiptoeing around the edges. No. Uh, and I know you're pretty good at actually uh, shooting from the hip. So, what sort of issues do you like to talk about? Well, I often talk about issues before the church. How the church should be challenging our society and changing our society. So often the church is very quiet and very empty. And I challenge right across, you know, all denominations across Ireland that, you know, as people of God, we should be the people who are changing and impacting our society. And so often we're not. So that's, that's why I often try and bring forward is that, come on, guys, let's make a difference in Dublin and in Ireland. And, of course, interwoven into the sorts of messages that you would be sharing on the radio on UCB in Ireland would be your own personal testimony and, really, the idea of the fact that you are leading a church there in Dublin. Uh, You've got your finger on the pulse to those challenging things that people are facing day-to-day life in Ireland. Yeah, I come from a tough background. I got wonderfully saved when I was 23, changed the whole course of my life and became a pastor when I was 30. So we've got a church in the inner city, right in the middle of the city centre of Dublin. And Dublin City, just to give you an example, on a, on a given Friday evening, 10,000 addicts will hit the streets of Dublin. So you can imagine at times the invasion of these addicts right across the city. And I think it's, it's our job and our duty to try and challenge that and bring restoration to those people. So we're there also. We've just planted a new church in where I used to live. It's in, 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 a, in another part of the city. It's called Finglas. It's probably the most notorious area in Ireland. So we have started the church there. It has its challenges, but of recent times, in the last few weeks, we've seen two people saved already, a crack addict and a mother that's just gone through a very difficult time. So, yeah, it's quite challenging. But you know what? God is bigger than that, and that's what we believe that. With God, all things are possible. How does the church open its doors or... 
does the church not open its doors, but it has its people overflowing the walls of the church and and connecting with people. And when you say 10,000 addicts on the street of a nighttime in Dublin, there's a big mission field there and there's a big uh, area where churches need to be working. Yeah, I think there's many ways you can reach these people. Um, in Dublin alone, we've probably got the biggest homeless problem in, our, in, in Europe. And uh, there's many charities on the streets. But with addicts, it's a different thing, to be honest with you. Addicts are probably the most complex human beings on the face of the planet. And you can be working with an addict for a long time and you can just collapse and fall. So we have set up a place called Teen Challenge for the men and for the women. And so I, my, my view on that is that is this, to go into where they're living, into the neighbours where they are, and reach out to them and begin to show them that there is actually another way and to help them get on a new path. And that's the path of Jesus, to try and change their lives and try and direct them and show them that they can actually change their lives and bring bring hope into their homes and into their families, you know. We might come back to that, but let me ask you about Ireland and the history, or at least the modern history of Ireland, because uh, there's all sorts of conflict that's been happening in Ireland for a long time. Uh, The IRA, the Irish Republican Army, uh, the challenges that are there with religious animosity, uh, do those things still continue today? No, today that's most of that's gone today. The Catholic Church is empty today because of the child abuse and all that happened over the last 50 years. And the IRA situation and uh, the whole combat between the IRA and England and all that sort of all died, died down now at this point. So we have different challenges now. So um, at present, we don't even have a government. So um, there's a battle between Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And at present, we actually don't even have a government as we speak. So, yeah, we have our, we have our challenges at the moment. So things have changed, but the challenges are still there in different ways, you know. You say the Catholic Church is emptied. Yes. Does that mean that people are flourishing in Protestant churches? Or? There's, a, there's a massive vacuum there for people. You know, I believe, you know, I was talking to someone recently in Australia and we were talking about Ireland and this guy was saying he loves Irish music like I own it and uh, other Christian artists. And I was saying, you know, Ireland is, is a very mystical, spiritual country. And if you research Ireland, it's steeped in history with Christianity. You know, there's a place in Glendalock. I'm going to hope to take Mark there when he's over. And uh, there was a Bible college there in the 10th century, which used to send missionaries around the world. And the ruins are still there. So Ireland's a very spiritual place. And I think it's a very, I, I think personally it's ripe now for the gospel. It's ripe now to see many salvations. I believe already to see an explosion of God come right across my own nation and see many people saved and many churches planted. Here in Australia, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day every year. Now, as I understand it, in Ireland, not many people celebrate St. Patrick, not in the way that people do when they're not actually in Ireland. Uh, But St. Patrick was a tremendous missionary and uh, some of the wonderful things that he did in bringing Christianity to Ireland, uh, those things still remain today or the fruit of his mission still remains today. And I guess we could probably point to you and say you'd be part of that fruit somewhere along the line because the gospel has been passed down to your generation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, I would believe the seed of the Holy Spirit that he brought at that time is still in the nation, still affects our nation in many ways. But a lot of people don't know this, but in, in Trinity College, we have the oldest scriptural manuscripts in the world. They, they were written, in, I think, in the year 1000. So before Patrick, it was there. 
And after Patrick, it's happening now. I believe I'm a first generation Christian. I got saved um, when I was 23. So in my whole family, me and my two brothers, we're, we're first generation Christians. So a lot of people getting saved now are first generation Christians because of the the setup of the Catholic Church. We all used to go to church as kids and. But that's all gone now. And most of the people that get saved today are actually first-generation Christians. And that really is exciting because, you know, when you first get saved, it's incredible. It really does something to you and it can bring a great impact right across the city, you know. Pastor yeah. Patrick Fitzgerald is our guest visiting from Ireland. We're talking about the church in Ireland and we're going to hear some of Patrick's personal story in just a short while. Stay with us. We're back soon with Pastor Patrick Fitzgerald. Taking some time to talk about Christianity in Ireland today. And uh, so many Australians have some Irish heritage. It's good to hear about what is happening in places like Dublin. And it's not necessarily a safe place. Uh, There are challenges to the church in Ireland. Pastor Patrick Fitzgerald is our guest. He's heard every day on UCB in Ireland. And as he says, he shoots from the hip when it comes to being a pastor, to being a Christian leader, and to have a passion for the souls of people in Ireland as so many people are suffering and have fallen in some ways away from faith. Uh, Patrick, take me back to some of the early days. You've got a colourful testimony, but part of your story contains some reference to a movie that many Australians are familiar with, and that is the movie called The Commitments. You were in a band in the 1980s. Tell us about your story. Well, what happened was when we were kids growing up, we grew up in a, in a really tough area, and my brothers were boxers and we played football. And By the time I was 14, 15, we were drinking and stealing cars and at that time, the area was so dark and, you know, even the police didn't really come in. And so when my brothers gave up the boxing and we were involved in crime and drinking and partying and all that, my brother Joe had an incredible voice. He had an amazing voice. It was a strange thing, but he could really sing. So he, we, we went to see UB40. I don't remember if you remember that British group. So we went to see that group and Joe just came out of the concert. We were all there as kids. And he said, let's start a band. So we started a band, right? And we used to collect our instruments in trolleys and bring them up to an old school. And sometimes one guitar was thrown at each other and there was rows and arguments and sometimes the trolley was thrown. But lo and behold, we became famous. We be, we put this outfit together. We were a soul band. We had hit records. We were on every TV program. And then all of a sudden, um, Alan Parker decided to make this movie called The Commitments about a Northside Dublin band, soul band. And so we all actually um, went for to perform before him as a band and also as individuals, you know. And uh, one of the guys of our band actually got the movie, Ken McCluskey, he became the bass player in the band. And so that's their association with it. But what a lot of people don't know was that my brother one time was was asked to go into a bar in Lombard Street and this PR person gave him a drink all day, asking him about the story of where band started. And Joe knew from the beginning to the end. But I remember one night we were at one of the premieres of The Commitments and Joe said, gosh, there's that girl. Turned out it was Roddy Doyle's wife. But, uh, and Joe went over to Roddy Doyle and challenged him. And Roddy Doyle said, no, I'd read that book prior, much, much, many years prior to that. And, and I remember Joe saying, well, it's, it's nearly identical to how we started. If you look at it, it's more or less identical 
to how we started and, how, and what happened to us. So there is a very real connection between the movie <clears throat> The Commitments, which many of our listeners will have seen, and the band that you were a part of. Mm. Let's stay back with those early days <clears throat> because these are pre-Christian days. These mm. were days when it was pretty rough on the streets of Dublin. Oh, yeah. I mean, my neighbourhood alone, on my road alone, there was over four murders. Um, we used to hang in a gang. Most of those friends are dead or in prison. You know, I think it was four families in my, in, on my road at the, in the in the vicinity of where I lived, and most of them were armed robbers. I remember two young lads, and uh, their father used to wake them up on a, on a Saturday morning, take them out of bed, send them to the post office to rob it, come home with the money, and they'd all go drinking then. So th- th- they were hard days. You know, you, you, you learn to be tough, and you learn to be hard. Most weekends we drank in a field, and, Broke up the neighbourhood, broke up everything that was in front of us, and um, often there would be race horses being stolen from race courses, flying up and down the road, and then on another road there'd be robbed motorcycles flying up and down the road, and then down the further road there'd be robbed cars, and then we used to knock out all the lights so the police couldn't see us, and then we used to lock out all the lights on the cars and the bikes and the horses, and um, so you can imagine like something of a John Wayne movie, like you know. Uh, on modern in modern times, you know. and going back to those days, uh, there were all sorts of unrest that were happening in Ireland Absolutely. in general. So you probably felt like you could get away with anything if you were uh, behaving the way that you were. Well, to be honest with you, when you grew up in a neighbourhood like that, you weren't really afraid of anything. You didn't really care. You, you had no boundaries. So, you know, the police. So what? You know, most of my friends ended up in prison anyway. So they didn't really care. There was such a sense of hopelessness. So. You know, we didn't do well in school, so we all left school young. So, you know, I remember a teacher saying to me, two, two steps for you, prison or try and find some type of job. And most of us left uneducated. And so most of my friends became armed robbers and, and drug addicts. You know. So when your friends are becoming armed robbers, drug addicts, dropouts of society, yeah. what was it? that was an intervention for you uh, that came with your faith in Jesus Christ? What happened to me was my brother George, he was a plasterer, and he ended up plastering in a church, in Assemblies of God Church in the inner city. He worked for the government called Foss at the time. And so he was asked one time to go in on a Saturday morning to plaster a room. So he was there plastering that day, and these two ex-convicts came in that had got saved from the inner city. Paul Bryan's dead now. Another guy that's dead now. And they came in and George is having a sandwich and a cup of tea. And they just shared the gospel with him. And George got remarkably saved. He says to this day, like a light from heaven came down and beamed on his forehead. He collapsed on the floor and began to praise the Lord. So George got saved. He went from madness to becoming normal. And he was always preaching to me constantly, always telling me about Jesus. He would even tell the donkey on the street about Jesus. This fellow was just Jesus fanatic. So I went on a holiday that a year later or so, a year and a half later. We, I went to Tenerife, Spain, and George slipped a red Bible in my bag. And I remember telling him what he could do with the Bible. I won't, I won't, I won't say on air what he said to him. But, uh, so I got to Spain. I was drinking from dawn to dusk. And I met this girl in the UK. And we were drinking and partying. And we were doing loads of things. And I woke up one morning after being out all, all night and uh, went into the bathroom. And when I went into the bathroom, I can still see it today. It's 20 odd years ago. I walked in one man and I came out another. I got saved. I remember walking out of the room saying, I can't live like this anymore. You can't live like this anymore because you were 
depressed about life. Uh, things were going so badly. The people that you thought were okay were falling down like flies. Well, to be honest with you, when you've lived from that background and lived in a moral life and drinking and partying, there are times when you're on your own and the, sen- the sound of emptiness in your soul is very clear and the, the sense of hopelessness becomes very real to you. That's why you do those things, you see, because you're trying to block out that sense of hopelessness. I remember when I walked into that room, a sense of hope came into my soul. Didn't fully understand at that moment. Didn't understand conviction. I didn't understand the Holy Spirit. But that sense of there's got to be a God. There's got to be hope for me. I hate living like this. I actually don't want to live like this. But what a lot of people don't know, when I was 20 years of age, is I was running through the Phoenix Park one day. I used to, I used to do a lot of running. I still do a bit of running. I was every Wednesday, I'd run on my day off. And I ran through the park. It was a dark day. And was raining and I remember stopping in the middle of the park and I looked up at the sky and said God if you're real please gosh I'm a bit overcome I said please God if you're real come into my life and change my life and I remember looking back now even 20 years later it's like gosh it's so real to me again that God heard my cry and there's so many young people out there let me tell you friend people are stick cocaine or crack addicts or heroin addicts or alcoholic problems broken marriages they're as lost as anybody. They're, they're longing to, to, ta- to touch it tangibly and feel that there is hope for them, you know. And that's what happened to me, you know. Patrick, do you think that most people or a lot of people actually hear that sound of emptiness oh. at some point in their life and they have a choice in that moment? I think so. And I think that's, where, that's why I've got such a passion for the church. I think the church needs to get beyond the four walls and show these people that there is a sound that is different and that can change their life. I knocked on a house two weeks ago in the middle of a tough neighbourhood, my old neighbourhood, and a crack addict opened the door. She was out of her face in heroin. She was wrecked. The house had been smashed up. Her brother had been stabbed. And I just looked into her face and I said, listen, there's another way. I said, Christ, Jesus can set you free. And she said, please help me. I laid hands on her, led her to the Lord, and she was in church the following week, cleaned up. She still has a long way to go. But she said to me that day, I feel hope. There's hope for me. There's hope for my family. Broken home, broken life. And there's so many out there. And I'm not just, the, I'm not just putting it to crack addicts or heroin addicts. I mean, right across the, the spectrum, whether you're a barrister, a lawyer, whether you're a CEO of a company, you have the same emptiness. And that's why people work 24-7. They're trying to fill their soul with this emptiness. So I believe the church has a responsibility and as leaders we have a responsibility to bring a sound, that sound of heaven that can change society, impact our countries and bring an absolute change to every, every, to every level of society. Some people listening might assume that if you knock on the door of that crack addict uh, that they're more likely to slam the door in your face. Is that not necessarily the case, that people who are addicted uh, to crack or heroin, whatever drug it might be, that they're actually open to hearing a voice that will bring some hope? When you're in a desperate state, when you're in the lowest place, I don't know whether you've ever been there, when you're in a dark valley, you'll listen to somebody. You'll, you'll look at somebody that has hope. You will actually be longing that someone knock on your door. We knock on her door every Thursday with bags of food. I give that woman two bags of food every week. She's no food. 
So we go in there. She hasn't. She doesn't even have a scrap of carpet on her floor. She has no electricity, no light, and no heat. So we knock on that door with food, and she sees hope. She not only sees it, but she hears it. And I've knocked on many doors, friend, of not just of crack addicts, many doors, and you will be amazed at the the welcoming hand of someone that's in a desperate place will be longing to hear something and see something that can bring hope. Pastor Patrick Fitzgerald is our guest visiting from Ireland and he's heard on the air on UCB in Ireland every day of the week. He shoots from the hip and he's got a following in Ireland. Uh, Patrick, stay with us. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're taking some time to hear the heartbeat of a visiting pastor from Ireland. He's Pastor Patrick Fitzgerald, who's heard on the radio in our affiliate station, UCB Ireland, every day. He says he shoots from the hip and he's got a story to tell. We've been talking about what it's like in Ireland today, what it's like in Ireland over the past 30 years. And you'll know that there's been so much turmoil that has gone on in that nation. Patrick, when we talk about this hearing the sound of emptiness, I'm really captured by those words that you were sharing because it describes that point of despair in a person's life when they realize something has to be better than all of this stuff that's going on, Mm. the things that people do to try and fill the void that really only God can fill. Sometimes when you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, you are born again, you are saved, and you're set and planted into church life. Some of those things still haunt you from the past. Does the sound of emptiness still come back and haunt you from time to time? No, I'll be honest with you. My first six years as a Christian were quite difficult. Found it hard to be honest with you. But then I met a tremendous man of God called Pastor David Ware, and uh, he had an incredible re- revelation of Jesus, but a credible revelation of who you are in Christ. And so I sat with him for days. He was actually my fa- he was actually my father-in-law, and he brought me into this incredible revelation of the victory for the Christian. And I can honestly say, the last 10 to 12 years, I've lived an incredible, victorious life. Nothing of the past ever comes back to haunt me. Nothing, and I mean nothing. Can you share with us some of the keys to that? Because I know that there'll be some listening into our conversation today saying, well, here I am a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. Some of these things from my past still do come back to try and haunt me. They try and draw me back. Uh, They try to seduce me back into the worldly ways that I'm desperate to be free from. When we talk about some of those seductions and those worldly things that we try to be free from, Mm. is there a key? Is there something that you can say, this is the answer to getting rid of those things and and having this victorious life we're talking about? Well, the key for me is this. Every battle that comes to your life is a battle of the mind. And what I realized years ago was this. I'm in control of my mind and I'm in control of my thought pattern. And Pastor Weir used to say to me, son, Stop trying to be a saint when in fact that's who you are. He said, rather than living like a sinner trying to be a saint, start living like a saint who sometimes sins. And I, it took me a long time to grasp what he's saying. But then I realized one day, all of this is based on mindset. You know, when you lived a, 
a bold life or a bad life. You have a you have a certain way of thinking. You have a certain way of approaching life. You have a certain way of doing life. You know, Jesus said, "As a man thinketh, therefore he is." So a lot of the the lot of the temptations comes because a lot of Christians that I've met over the years they're not fully in control of their thinking patterns, and they don't really know who they are in Christ. And so, therefore, the battle that they endure every day is actually a battle that actually overcomes them most days. And what I realized years ago, I was, on a, I was on a train, and the Holy Spirit said, and I said to the Holy Spirit, Lord, I'm really struggling in this area, in that area, in this area. And the Holy Spirit said, because you don't live and you don't think according to what I say. And you know what? When you start thinking the way I say things are, you will align yourself in that pattern, and therefore you will become an overcomer. Sometimes we talk about that terminology, don't we? The renewal of our mind. mind. And for some people, I guess, uh, you know, oftentimes you might hear a testimony of that happens instantly. But that's not an instant thing. This is a a constant challenge for every Christian believer to not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, is this a process that you've found in your own walk? Yeah, I found it a process. It took me about a year to really grab hold of it. But what a lot of people what I've what I've experienced is people then what they do is they think by transforming the mind it's just learning verses off by heart, which is not the answer, because that's just learning stuff. So it's about taking control of your thinking, and realizing who you really are, and what you have in God, and therefore you become strong in your whole way of thinking, and all of a sudden your whole heart lines up with that thinking, and therefore you start walking in that thinking, and therefore victory becomes your patron. But a lot of Christians, let me give you an example. You know, a lot of Christians just memorize verses. You know, they learn this verse off and hoping that at some point they're going to feel free. Jesus said the truth shall set you free. Let me give you an example. I was in college one day and this preacher was preaching. I was saying, amen, amen, amen. I was shouting my mouth off as an Irish man does. He stopped the service. He said, son, can you just be quiet? You haven't been to the cross properly. And I went completely dead. So after I went to him, he said, God's hands on your life, but you really are full of garbage. And you need to deal with a few issues in your life. And he told me the issues that I had to deal with. And one of them was my whole approach and my whole thinking patterns. He says, you've got to change all that. You're not what you were. You're a new creation. The old has gone. You've got to learn new habits. You've got to learn new patterns of thinking. And therefore, when you start doing that, you'll get victory. And I can honestly say it was revelation to my ears. And I realized reading my Bible 24-7 wasn't setting me free. Someone telling me the truth was setting me free, being honest with me and showing me that there was another way. And that's what's wrong with the church. They're all sitting down and no one's being really honest with them and telling them, that you need to change your whole way of thinking. Your thinking is like the old man, not like the new man. This idea of you haven't been to the cross, that must hurt when you think you're a Christian. And as you're saying, you know, you're calling out all the amens and trying to look good. But that was a sign to that particular minister of the gospel that this young man hasn't been to the cross. What does it mean to you now when you reflect on that? 
I have been to the cross. I am set free. Well, for me, you know, it's the complete gospel. You know, Jesus said, I've come to give you life. There's no point in having this life and being bound. There's no point in listening to this incredible message and still being bound. No point in me being bound to the things of the past. For me, then, there's no life in it. So for me, to be the cross means I no longer live, but he lives. My thinking is eradicated. Paul says, uh, what does Paul say in Romans? He says, therefore, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So stop thinking about sin and start thinking about the things of heaven. Meditate on those things which are above, not on those things which are on this earth. And that liberated me. Honestly, I was liberated. Honest to God, you've no idea. I was liberated. I, I remember running down the street singing, Jesus, I love you. I declare your, your victory all my life. And I realized I'm free. And that's why I've got a passion, not just for the loss, but for the church. When the church gets free and when the church realizes what they have, they will burst down the walls and run out into the streets like they did in the book of Acts and preach this incredible resurrection message that whom the Son sets free is absolutely free indeed. Is this a part of your shooting from the hip? I mentioned that you were on the air every day and heard across Ireland, the studios of UCB Ireland, about 15 minutes drive from your church, shooting from the hip, talking to people in Ireland. What sort of feedback uh, do you receive uh, from people who have heard your messages? Uh, it is a powerful message to talk about the cross in such a way. Yeah, I get a lot of uh, emails and phone calls from Christians and and. You know, I got a, a, a guy from America coming to see me in, in, in May, the end of May. He's been really touched by message. He said, he said to me, it's great to hear someone being really honest and really being truthful. And that's what we need to be, to be honest and be truthful, because we have the truth. This authenticity is a rare virtue, and uh, this authenticity is what's needed in the lives of believers and those who are expecting to share the gospel and see people who are having their own encounter with Christ. Authenticity is just such an important element. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? The funny thing is my father-in-law had this message 60, 50 years ago, 50 years as an apostolic minister. He went everywhere preaching his message and seen so many people liberate. I thank God I met this man. I thank God I listened to this man. I thank God I was in a position that he was telling me the truth. Let me give you an example. This may be a silly example, but for me it's a great example. So I became a pastor of the Apostolic Church. So one Thursday evening, we decided to go to the prayer meeting. So I walked down in my tracksuit. So he's there in his short and his, and his nice trousers and his blazer. And so I come down the stairs. He says, where are you going? I said, we're going to the prayer meeting, Pastor. Do you think so, son? Like that? I said, oh, it just attracts you or relax. We've got to have a time of prayer. He said, really? Do you think you should re- represent God's people in a shiny tracksuit, son? So I put my heels in. I said, Pastor, where? I'm wearing the tracksuit. So he said, well, son, such a gracious man. If you want people to treat you as a pastor with the shiny tracksuit, you feel free. He got to the door. I ran back up the stairs, took off the shiny tracksuit, put on the trousers, put on the shirt, and threw on the blazer, ran back down the stairs. He said, how do you feel now, son? I actually feel like a pastor. He said, now, son, the truth has set you free. And I said, amen, brother. 
<laughs> well, I'm sure that there might be some who would have a few things to say about that. And uh, I know that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily dress for the prayer meeting in Australia. In fact, there's a challenge getting a lot of Christian believers to the prayer meeting in Australia. But uh, certainly the leaders I see at the prayer meeting don't always uh, wear, as you say, uh, the, the slacks and the blazer. Well, you have to remember, because of my background, yep. because of where it come from, he was trying to help me polish my life up and present myself, not from what I was, but who I'd become. Now, I don't wear a blazer to church on a Thursday anymore, but coming from where I was, he was just trying to be truthful to me and to help me change from where I'd come from to where God was taking me. So it wasn't, you know, it's not the blazer and the pants. It's the, it's the truth of being honest with me saying, son, you've got to change this thing in your life. You've got to stop looking like a kid from the streets and start acting like a man that's running a church. So that truth liberated me. Do you know what I mean? It's a discipleship issue, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah, and, uh, and, of course, when you have someone who is discipling you into a leadership role, in a mm. pastoral role, uh, the, the discipleship becomes a little more intense than ordinary discipleship for believers who are not aspiring to that level of leadership. Pastor Patrick Fitzgerald, and Patrick, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. An amazing testimony, thinking back to uh, that connection there with that movie, The Commitments, Uh, your testimony on the rough streets of Dublin uh, through the 1980s and early 90s, your encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, your encounter with the cross, and uh, just for sharing these things with us, just amazing. And thank you so much for being with us today here on 2020. Thank you so much for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.